Hello and welcome to another Ulster Rugby Roundup. The Autumn Internationals are over. Proper Rugby has returned and as usual we've got two proper Ulster experts to dissect it all. There's Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how's it going? And Adam McCandry. I'm really flattered you called me an Ulster Rugby expert because after all these podcasts we've done I still do not consider myself an expert. I was <laughs> looking over my shoulder to see when the experts were coming through the door but... I love that even though this is the second time we've recorded this we bet you're making the same jokes same I really matter. love it love it yeah. trying not to get in their way of their true rugby knowledge I'm Gareth Hanna and we'll be discussing Ulster's 29-12 defeat to Scarlets and this weekend's home game against Cardiff Blues we've got Ireland's USA win to look back at including Stuart McCluskey's first international try and there's been a little known coaching switch up which you may not have heard of just yet then we've got as always plenty of your listener questions before Alex Club Roundup. Let's get the nasty bit over with first then. Scarlet's 29, Ulster 12. Just how bad was that? It was a lot worse than I think the scoreline suggests because whenever you consider that in that second half for the first 20 minutes, Ulster I don't think got beyond their own 10 metre line, let alone out of their own half. Um, the Scarlet's just monopolised possession. Ulster's uh, exit strategy wasn't good. Their discipline was even worse, and that just put them behind the eight ball. And that that's not even getting past the fact that they were three tries down at half time. So the the fact was in a game where we thought they were going to struggle, in a game where we thought it was going to be really tough for them to take anything away from it. They really shot themselves in the foot by not allowing themselves to get playing in the game. And they just invited the Scarlets back onto them over and over again. And fair play to the defence. The defence held up for that first 20 minutes of the second half. And that's probably one of the biggest positives you'll take away from that one. But also just made sure that it wasn't going to be a contest. And that's, that's the biggest concerning thing for me, as you can say... The result is on itself or by itself is a negative, but I think the more disappointing thing is not the fact that Ulster lost and lost with a bonus point. It's the fact of how they played. If they had at least shown some good signs and it looked like they were trying to make a contest of it, I think you'd have walked away a lot happier if, say, it had been thirty odd something to twelve, mm. uh, as opposed to the fact that they've come away been pretty resoundingly beaten by a conference rival. Um, and I, I think that yeah, that, that's the most disappointing thing. They they just did not play well, and it's the first time in a while where you've really watched the game and thought to yourself, Ulster way off the pace here. I know that they've had some poor results to start this season, but um, it, it's the first game since uh, since that monster defeat down in Toman Park where you just thought, that, man, they're ju- they're just not at the races at all here. But surely that was did we not think that was always going to be the case? Yeah, like to play devil's advocate somewhat. Um, yes, it was a resigning defeat, but Scarlets are a resoundingly better squad than Ulster. So you can say it's so disappointing their performance. I'm not sure that I particularly buy into that. Really, I mean, the performance in itself. There's an awful lot of things wrong with it, but they put an awful lot into it, which is more of a throwback to um, maybe a time in Ulster rugby that um, possibly predates Adam because he's just so frustratingly young. Um, So sorry. (laughs) 
that you know you put a lot into these performances you're not that great a team so you don't really get the rewards but if you can see the amount of effort that's going into it then there's something to be said for that surely like you look at the uh, tackle counts and could see a 24 reedy 20 timony 22 ian nagel 13 off the bench um alan o'connor i think was 23 um now obviously you can look at that and say well no team playing well will ever have to make that many tackles and that's Mm -hmm. true but I invite you to go back to the Heineken Cup quarterfinal in Tillman Park. Well, they certainly didn't make 251 tackles that <laughs> well, day. Well, not that many, but they're um, still making a lot of tackles that day. I can think of like one Wales-Ireland Six Nations game a good few years ago that Wales won where they had to make an astounding amount of tackles and um, maybe France in that um, New Zealand game. But um, yeah, just to... Um, I don't think it's as bad as some people are making out to be in the wider context of the season and we're in a like this is sort of a difficult gig in a lot of ways because we're putting a huge amount of emphasis on one game at a time because that's the nature of doing a weekly podcast but looking at the bigger picture um, that game didn't mean a heck of a lot of what we're going to think of Ulster season because it was a game that we all expected them to lose but I, I don't want to say the fight for every inch mentality because I think it's been said that many times. That, um, <laughs> Cliche alert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these these things start to lose all meaning if you just say them over and over again. But that's what people said, and that's what people, um, even we said we wanted to see this season, and you certainly saw that. You just also saw a number of basic errors that need to be ironed out in terms of. Um, exit strategy mainly being one um, playing the referee or playing to the referee as it were certainly being another but the positives obviously get lost in the game and like as anyone who's listened to this show for longer than the last couple of weeks knows that I'm not the sort that's just looking for positives because that's just not <laughs> you've never been accused of that <laughs> not my natural character but just to um to to offer a counter argument I don't think it was um, surprising and I don't think um, sorry I don't think it was surprisingly bad I'll say no it wasn't surprisingly bad but the the point is if Ulster's defence hadn't been quite so good in that 20 minute spell you know you're talking about what could have been a 40 odd point scoreline as but you opposed mentioned to 29 the, the defense we have a question in from darren thomas who asks is the defense thinking ulster conceded a, a four tries he says is the defensive system working or are the players not up to speed with it he says that ulster seem to be conceding more points and penalties than in previous seasons is that the case well, I mean, they're not conceding more points than in previous seasons. Um, if you take out the monster games and aberration, which you know, let's just forget. <laughs> Obviously, it's still there. It's not that it doesn't count. We're not saying that, but um, it's consigned to the annals of history and will never be revisited again. Apart from any time anybody opens a record <laughs> book, but um, or opens the first chapter of your book and goes, yeah, "This isn't right anymore." Well, that too, but. We've all learned. Sorry, to sorry to bring that back. We've learned to make our peace with that. <laughs> um, I think, like I was talking to a player at the weekend who was just saying, um, the Jared Payne system is very, very good, and the players are all buying into the system, but it's being hurt in the implementation, 
and the implement and by that I mean if you give away you know if you win the turnover on your own line and then mess up the line out and the ball's kicked to the corner and then you're right back on your own line again that's not the defensive system the defensive system is stressed because of the individual errors being made yeah. in other parts of the game like you can look at the um Kieran Finalia tries the obvious one that was bad and that was a hammer blow because um the two tries came so quickly Kieran Hardy's and then his right on the cusp of half time and the game was really um you know <laughs> the game was almost gone at that stage and then certainly gone after the fourth try but that was the one that you would pick out and say that was bad defensively rather than that was an instance where Ulster were putting too much on their defence. And, you know, we, we always talk about how all these different aspects of the game are linked and that's what makes it difficult when you say Jared Payne's a defence coach but they shipped four tries when part of it is, you know, infringing at the line-out or, or things like that which would not be part of Jared Payne's remit. So you can't really just look at it in that way you have to look at things you can't look at the tries those numbers in isolation whereas if you looked at the numbers in isolation last year and then watched the games Mm -hmm. then by all means you could look at it and say this team is terrible defensively Mm. but certainly looking at the Scarlets game it wasn't terrible defensively by any means there were just silly errors in other parts of the game that asked too much of the defence so if you put Darren uh, what am I talking about? Uh, Ulster's defensive coach. He's Jared Payne. Jared, Jared Payne. Payne. I could just different centre. I just had uh, Darren Thomas's name in my head. He asked the <laughs> question, and I was looking at his name and couldn't think of anything else. Um, if you put Jared Payne then in charge of the defence of a better team, you're saying it would would work very well. I think so. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, and Johnny picked up on it there, is that consider all the mall tries that Ulster have conceded this season. That that's not Jared Payne's remit. That falls under Aaron Dundon's remit. No, not not throwing coaches under the bus, but just saying, just saying. You know, if, if you're going like to calling out Aaron Dundon here, that's what I I'm am absolutely not calling out Aaron Dundon here. <laughs> but if if you're going to say Jared Payne's system isn't working, well, you, you can't say that's it's his fault that the mall didn't keep out the opposition's mall because that that's something that Aaron Dundon's working under. So I, I don't I don't think you. You would say Jared is uh, or Jared's system isn't working because I mean, I'm, I'm practically repeating Johnny here. You know, we we saw it working for a very prolonged period of time in that Scarlets game, and I think if you go back throughout the season, you'll see more instances of it working than not working. Um, in terms of if he if he went to a better side, would he uh, would he have as much success? Um, I mean, I, th- I think it, it's a system that's very similar to what Ireland do. Um, and I think if if you brought that into a team with uh, strong players, strong defensive players, then yeah, of course it would work. But, you know, right right now he's brought in with Ulster. I, I think it's working with Ulster. You know, so I, d- I, don't think, I don't think there's anything to suggest that it wouldn't work anywhere else because I, I think it is working with Ulster. If we look at Ulster's tries then, well, if we look at Michael Lowry who was involved in the first try and got uh, the only seven in our match ratings on Saturday morning, um, 
And that wasn't even different. from any of us. No, so. it wasn't yeah. from any of us. It wasn't like our bias. Uh, a positive week for Megalyn, or Mike, sorry, as you like to call him now, John, uh, if not for Ulster in general. Yeah, he's. We know how good Mike Larry is, um, and his involvement for that first try was brilliant. And it's a, it's the kind of thing you know, just that, just the off the cuff rugby that he he likes to play. And I, th- I think to to move it on just a wee bit, like whenever he then moved to ten later in the game, you saw it a bit more as well. He he was certainly trying to change the point of attack quite a lot whenever he moved into ten. He was. Uh, trying to add a bit more pace to that back line, which I thought was good. But you know, for for that first try, um, to just the ability to create the space, um, and then you have the you have the great support line from Dave Shannon again to to go in, which I know they've been working on so much over over this season, and we've seen pay off so much this season. Dave support line Shannon. Dave support line Shannon. His, uh, let's let's a, get that started. His, his forte. He, he runs a great support line. Definitely a better nickname than Michael Mike Lowry, which is <laughs> no imagination. No, but look, I think one of, one of the big positives that uh, Larry's done is he's managed to work himself into a second position, which was, which is one of the big things that Ulster like to work on with players whenever they're coming through, uh, so that they're not just you know right. You can play ten, so the only place you're coming through is ten. Because if he could only play 10, he would still be waiting for his shot because they want to persist with Burns um, and McPhillips. I'd like to see him get a longer shot at 10. Like we saw him so, go in so there, I. We so. saw him go in there against um, Monster and we saw him go in there against Scarlets both times after the game was gone. Especially probably looking at the Christmas period when you're going to see a lot more rotation over the course of those three mm. interviews. I'd really like to see him get a shot at 10 from the start and just see how he does then. We have a question in um, from Stephen McCormick who asks, should uh, Michael Lowry be the first choice out half now that Lou looks back? So are you saying you, you want Michael to go in just sort of change things up or would you have him in now as, as well, first I'm not, choice? Like, I'm not saying like start him against Scarlets in two weeks. Like I'm just saying at some stage I'd like to see him get a run at 10 because that is yeah. his best position. Um, that's where he wants to play. And so, so he's not he's not first choice yet, no. but when the time allows, he should be given a, a chance to, to make it so. Well, the perfect opportunity to give him a first shot at 10 is whichever one of the three Interpro games you're not going to target, which I'm, I'm going to assume will be the Leinster game down in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's your perfect opportunity to put him in at 10 and say, you know, show us, show us what you're made of uh, at possibly the most key position on the pitch. I'd play him against Monster with a full strength team. Yeah, sure it doesn't it doesn't give him much opportunity if he's thrown in. Well that's the thing you know, that's that's the same as what we've seen when he has got a shot at ten has been as part of a beaten dogget as it were. Yeah. And not to suggest that going down to Leinster with an understrength team is a beaten docket, but that monster it is. result might not but, be yeah. for long. <laughs> but yeah, it is. Um, history has shown that the last couple of years. Um, anyway, so it's so hard to take an awful lot from those type of games. Mm. Um, like you can talk about the experience, the experience that you get from losing games. But I would rather just see him as part of a full strength team, probably in that monster game, knowing that Billy Burns is probably going to miss one of those three games. Billy Burns himself has said that he's the guy that wants to play every game, but obviously that's not yeah. going to happen. Mm. Well, no, but my 
my point is, I, I would quite like to see him try and do something in a game where the pressure is off first. And I, I get your point of wanting to put him in a full-strength team to give him that, that full arsenal to show what he can do. And I, I quite like that idea as well. But I, I also quite like the thought of putting him at 10 in a game where there's quite low expectations and say... Well, go go out and show something whenever nobody's expecting anything from you. There's never low expectations when it comes to Mike Lowry, Adam. <laughs> Come on. Uh, what about what about Dave? Stay support line Shanahan five tries in. Did I get his nickname right? Did didn't you? Did yeah, five tries in eight games. He's one of the stars of the season so far. Sorry, I should have directed that at one of the two. He's just sort of <laughs> looking at my notes. Adam, you, you take it away there first. I'll take it away. Um, I, I have been impressed by him. No, not not to the extent where I'd have him ahead of John Cooney or anything like that. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But for someone who the jury was very much out on at the start of the season, given his lack of game time and any time he got game time, he didn't really seem to grasp it. There were a lot of questions over, is he what Ulster need? Um, but I think he's really answered a lot of doubters. Now, he's still got a long way to go in his game, um, and as I said, he, he's he's not going to challenge Cooney for that starting jersey just yet, but in terms of what Ulster have needed uh, as a backup nine coming in, he's done pretty well, um, and it, especially in running those support lines. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's, it's not necessarily one of the key strengths of a nine but he's turned it into one of his key strengths and just being able to have that ability to see where the space is for the pass to send him over um it's been fantastic and he's been rewarded for it so he's been good to start the season and in terms of being a backup nine i think he's a good option to have you would like to see him showing a bit more in terms of the basics and um I, th- I think his box kicking is still something that needs quite a bit of work, but it's the ki- the kicking game is a huge thing. Well, like, yeah, exactly. You know, um, well, we're we're not joking about the support lines. The support lines are a strong part of his game, and you can see that by the fact that he's been rewarded by scoring tries, mm-hmm. oftentimes without having to beat a tackler. But the box kicking and the passing are the basics of scrum half play and that's what needs to come on the rest of it is a bonus it can't be the fundamental part of yeah. the game you know you are both going to Clannathley the next time Ulster go there Jonathan you finished off your match report by writing that Ulster will be back with a very different team is that giving you some hope that you're not going to to watch a repeat of, of last week I think it will Scarlet's will be a very different team as well which is probably going to be the issue um, both teams are going to be an awful lot closer to full strength and you would still back a full-strength Scarlet's team in Clannathley to beat a full-strength Ulster team in Clannathley because they're such a good team at home and they're a better team than Ulster. The, like, the results over the last couple of seasons show that. I know that Ulster has spoken about targeting the top two, but for me the top two in this conference are um, just a cut above what's below them and Ulster are in that group with Edinburgh and Benetton where they're going to finish three, four, five in some order. And those are the teams that Ulster can say are comparable to them. You know, we talk about the weekend and um, just to continue the theme of cliches, you know, you look after your own game, but I'm sure there was a part of Ulster that 
looked at the weekend and on sun on Sunday rather than on the way back Saturday morning and thought that wasn't too bad a weekend for us all in all because um, Edinburgh and uh, Treviso both lost games that they could have won whereas Ulster lost a game that everyone expected them to lose mm. You think this boy was a journalist with all his cliches? <laughs> <laughs> he said doing that very well Six of Ulster's Irish contingent then were in action at the Aviva on Saturday where USA were smashed 57-14 Henderson, Murphy, Addison, McCluskey started and John Cooney got his first Ireland start Rob Herring came off the bench and of course there was that first Irish try for Stuart McCluskey so all in all a very successful day out for the Ulster boys then. Once again, I was not I, I at know. this game, so I'm, I'm I don't a, know why you looked at me. Exactly. I was just waiting for the uh, the ice hockey correspondent here to uh, again say that he wasn't at the game, but I just... <laughs> well, the, the worst part was, as soon as Gareth stopped talking, he looked straight at me as if well, he expected I, me to answer. I didn't know where you were at the weekend. <laughs> I should have just assumed it was at the SSC yeah. Arena, really. Yeah. <laughs> Setting up camp there. Um... I, like I thought, Cooney had a good game. Certainly, from this, it was good to see him get his first start, um, and I thought he did well. Um, I thought there was maybe one box kick that he got wrong. Joe Schmidt maybe in his post match hinted that for his more far more exacting standards, there was maybe a couple of box kicks. But on the whole, I thought his kicking game was good. Um, I thought his passing was sharp whenever he got good ball. I think. USA quite successfully if you listen to Gary Gold or Greg McWilliams in the build up they weren't going to try and take Ireland on at their own game they weren't going to try and play an open expansive game because that would have just been uh, a foolish way to approach playing what is the second best team in the world so what they were trying to do was keep things tight keep the ball in close and their back row have uh, a good nuisance value to them and you could see that especially in the first sort of certainly in the first 40 minutes anyway um, maybe in the first 30 minutes so that obviously made things difficult for Cooney when he didn't get uh, didn't get the ball that he wanted but I thought he had a good game um, McCluskey had a solid game capped off with the try Jordy Murphy really grew into the game um, in the second half I thought he was, he was very very good having been quiet enough in the open, um, Rob Herring came on really when the game was uh, very, very loose, so hard to judge him too much off that. Um, Will Addison, very, very good in the 40 minutes that he got. The thing with Will Addison that gets me at the minute is the fact that even in the Aviva, the way that he carries the ball excites people, so you can hear the buzz in the Aviva, even in what was only a second game at Dave Evo when he gets on the ball there's an excitement there just because of the way he carries the ball in two hands and looks up mm. and that's his natural instinct um, so that was I mean that it was good to see interesting as well just their reaction to somebody who's just come into this um, this mm-hmm. team we mentioned John Cooney last week and what an opportunity it was for him with Kieran Marmion's injury interesting today the independent down south had a, a little Irish Ireland rugby squad depth chart three players for each position the number nine position they had Conor Murray obviously number one Marmion two Luke McGrath three is that where where you see it at the minute is, is Cooney not there yet it's not that I don't think he's there on performance um, obviously we see him so often and we see him up close 
but if you were you know if you're looking at it from performances in an Ireland jersey then it's not through any fault of his own but that is the pecking order at the minute because that's who Schmidt's given the chances to um, it's very hard to impress in a game like that against opposition that you're expected to beat so handily like um, Ireland probably weren't great but still scored 8 tries um, and racked up 55 points that's the second time this November that they haven't been that great and have scored more than 50 points against the top 15 <laughs> team in the world so, um, it's easier to play your way out of things and I certainly don't think um, Cooney did that at all Like as I say I thought he had a good game but um, Luke McGrath impressed off the bench against the All Blacks Marmion impressed from the start against the All Blacks they got mm-hmm. that chance Cooney didn't yeah. but they took those chances. I mean, how how many times have we seen someone play themselves into contention in one of those games against the USA or Fiji or just mm-hmm. one of those sort of hanger-on fixtures in the autumn internationals? It's very rare that someone really mm-hmm. steps up and uh, makes their mark. So as much mm-hmm. as much as you say this is his chance to impress, you can maybe turn ahead here and there and say okay well this guy actually does have something but the chances of you actually making a significant mark and pushing your way up the pecking order is slim to none mm. you look at Jordan Larmer, Jordan Larmer's got a hat trick against Italy but when the chips were down it was still Car- Rob Carney playing fullback like you know yeah. you mm. can do, you can perform wonders in these games but they're always going to be viewed through the prism of who they're against mm. on the bright side Jordan Larmer's got a very promising Chicago Bears contract waiting for him if he, if he ever uh, decides to go that way I think he's injured now as well so. mm-hmm. there you go I'll not help anybody <laughs> not that that will impinge in any way and I'm playing for the Bears just you know, <laughs> just as an aside just keeping the conversation going <laughs> let's talk about that uh, coaching change then we mentioned earlier um if you have been away on, on Mars uh, over the last few days, Joe Schmidt is leaving Ireland. I know it's a shock. Uh, Andy Farrell, of course, was announced as his replacement to come in after the 2019 World Cup. Um, there's just been a queue of people since then waiting to praise both of them since Monday's announcement. So it, it is good work, uh, really, by Ireland, isn't it, to have Farrell announced in that position as they announced Schmidt's departure. I think so, like, um, you look at the way that, you know, Ireland may have beat the All Blacks, but the All Blacks still provide the blueprint here um, for success. And you look at the transition between Graham Henry and Steve Steve Hansen and how seamless that was. Now, you, you were surrounded by what was undoubtedly one of the greatest teams of all time. And that team from 2011 to 2015 got better and was always going to get better to really peak in 2015 under Steve Hansen's watch. But you look at the success of that, and that's now, I think, what people are looking to do rather than having, um, I suppose, a sort of um, coaching carousel like we've seen with uh, France, like we've seen with South Africa, two nations that we would always expect to be at the forefront of world rugby who have really struggled over the last couple of years with just that chopping and changing, restarting the whole process. Stuart Lancaster, obviously everybody is uh, saying that he's going to come in on that ticket. Um, is there a worry how that they performed in charge of England the last time they were in uh, 
international rugby? I mean, they exited the 2015 World Cup at the, at the pool stage. Yeah, well, one of the things this time is that it'll be the other way around. It'll be Farrell in charge, and if Lancaster joins the coaching setup, which it seems like would be a good bet at this stage, um, it, it would be him acting as assistant. <clears throat> I, I don't think you sh- there should be any concern about it. We've seen people coming out like uh, Clive Woodward and I know Sam Burgess had his say yesterday as well um, about how the 2015 World Cup went but Farrell did extremely well after that to rebuild his career you know he, he didn't uh, he didn't just sit around and mope and say oh well I, I failed as a coach he went straight back in with Ireland and he's firmly established himself as one of the best, if not the best, defensive coach in world rugby at the moment. And I think they've taken the learnings from 2015. And meanwhile, Lancaster, I forgot about Lancaster. Lancaster's gone to Leinster and you know he's, he's happy to be there as an assistant to Leo Cullen. And he's doing wonders there as well. So... It's for me though. It's more about the dynamic. It's not the individual CVs of what they've been able to do since England. It is the fact that you have that flip dynamic between somebody who was the boss is now working under somebody who was his assistant. That's weird. You don't see that. Like, actually, well, Tani Maga got demoted, didn't he, to work under yeah. somebody else re- um, recently? But, it, but anyway, but it could work. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it couldn't work. I'm just saying that for me is more would be more the question rather than people saying individually Andy Farrow was part of the England coaching ticket that didn't do well at the World Cup and individually Stuart Lancaster was at the part of that coaching ticket it's a weird thing for somebody to be somebody's boss and then all of a sudden have them be their boss so quite how that would work and if that would work I think would remain to be seen rather than saying anything about their individual abilities as coaches because they're obviously both very very good at least with the, the All Blacks Slayer in charge, this should have no problems against New Zealand for the foreseeable future, you would imagine. Fingers, fingers crossed. <laughs> that that's actually true or not. Uh, Jared Payne is one of the many people in who have been um, praising Andy Farrell and Joe Schmidt, so here's a little bit of what he had to say at this week's press conference. Um, look, uh, yeah, he's, he's had a crazy, great coach, and he's um, obviously stepping away in a year or so, but I imagine he'd be pretty keen to finish on a high, so... What he wants, he gets that across. He's got an amazing eye for detail. Uh, keeps you honest as a player, and, and he's a nice guy too, so puts it all together, and it's pretty good. He's always intense, though. That's how he gets the best out of you. He's intense, but he, as I say, got on with him well, drugged him, probably pissed him off once or twice as well, with being a bit too relaxed. But, um, nah, look, he's, he's, he's good. Um, Faz is a great coach as well. Um, he's a bit different to Joe in some aspects, but um, I think he'll probably learn a lot off Joe. And he's going to put his own flavour to it, is he? I'm not really sure what he'll bring. He's always just been sort of the defence coach and I've been under him, but he's a, he's a great guy. He gets on with players, he knows what he wants, and he gets his message across the same way as Joe. So Joe's exactly the same, but just does it in a different manner. So. That's enough looking back then, time to project our minds to the future and the visit of Cardiff Blues on Saturday, kickoff at 3pm. I don't really like Saturday, 3 o'clock kickoffs for Ulster, I don't know, it just doesn't, no, I, just doesn't sit right. No, 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 it's just, 3pm is reserved for Saturday football, rugby should be played on a Friday night. Unless it's club rugby. 
Unless it's club rugby, then it's half two on a Saturday. Well, see, you like thing. it. You're going to say you like it, aren't you? As much as I, I had this conversation in my head earlier, so go on. Say as what much I as I, as much say. as I enjoy being contrarian, I don't like it personally for solely selfish reasons. But half two would be the traditional um, Ulster kickoff in years gone by. You see, I was convinced you were going to say you did like it because, as opposed to an evening kickoff, it gives you more time to get your copy in for the next day's paper. Well, it's certainly better for copy, but from a purely selfish point of view, I hate it because if Ulster are not playing on Saturday, then I'm off on Saturday, whereas now I'm not. Well, welcome to the world of real sports reporters working Saturday afternoons. This is the way it is, John. This is real life. I'll be working Sunday, Monday, Tuesday as well. Um, What about Ulster's team for Saturday then? Presumably it's going to be a very different one than the side that lost to Scarlets. We'll throw in a listener question. Matthew McNabb asks, um, what we all want to know, uh, any Irish players getting released this weekend? Um, Well, we can hear from Jared Payne for a little bit of team news. Um, Not sure, hate to tell you the truth. Figured out on the team finance, isn't that the way it works? Not really, no, not really. <laughs> 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 I'll find out on the teams and ask them Friday, I guess. Find a physio, ask them, so worry about the rugby sort of things. So, um, we don't really know them, in conclusion? No, um, we don't. Um, we could try taking some educated guesses. But <laughs> <laughs> if I had to take an educated guess, I would say that Herring and McCluskey will start and Jordy Murphy will be on the bench. And that's it in terms of Ireland players? Um, Cooney possibly could play you have to bear in mind that they have to balance out the minutes elsewhere so there's got to be a lot of strategic planning over the next few weeks to try and make sure everyone gets their minutes and uh, doesn't overstep the mark because you're obviously going to want the likes of Rory Best and Ian Henderson Jacob Stockdale for the European games but at the same time you want them for these games and you can't have it both ways, so the, there's got to be a lot of managing over the festive period, as there always is. The thing with the minutes is that Rory Best and Jacob Stockdale both missed the start of the season, so they're probably not at where they could be in limit-wise mm. when talking about minutes, but then you also have to be sensible about it and think there's a World Cup in 11 yeah. months' time. If you want to know which Ireland players are going to play, what you want to do is write all their names out, put them in a hat, scrunch them up, and then just like set a bowl at the other side of the room and try and throw each name into the bowl. Whichever one lands in the bowl is going to play, and you'll have as much idea as we do. Because the team will be. No you say that like we haven't already done that in the office. The team, the team will be reviewed. <laughs> it's not. It's not really um, We're just stepping over whatever Johnny's going to put on the back page tomorrow. Well, if Liverpool and Spurs aren't on the back page tomorrow, then quite frankly, I'm at a loss. So. <laughs> uh, this game in itself, then, however, Ulster have uh, matches like this at home really are vital to, to to win if they're going to achieve anything this season. I mean, Cardiff have lost four of five away games so far this season, and they only only won the one was. Against uh, thingy, what do we call it? Southern Kings, wasn't it? Oh, don't look at me like that. I assume you should know. I think it is. Talk amongst yourselves there. I checked this. I think it was. Was it not? You, you are right. You are right in that you have to win your home games if you're going to get anywhere in this league, especially whenever you see the the kind of performances, or sorry, not not the performances, but the kind of 
games that Ulster are going to have during the international periods where they have to go away to the likes of the Scarlets. Um, they have to make the most of their home games. And even even purely from a momentum perspective, going into this 10-week-long yeah, stretch... The one at Dragons. I was actually going Dragons. to say that, and then I changed it to Southern Kings. Don't know why. Sorry, go on. Continue. Well, you were wrong. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, was, that was blunt. Um, but yeah, from, from from a momentum point of view, going into this 10-week period where you know you play Cardiff, you've got the back-to-backs in Europe, you've got the three inter-pros, then you're back-to-back in Europe again... Um, you need to have something to go into it off of, and uh, that has to be this game. You know, you, you have to be coming in off a win of some description, and I think that's why this game is so important to win. And I think that's why the emphasis will be solely on winning as opposed to the performance. Now, obviously, as we always say, the if the performance is good, then the result usually follows. But I think you'd take a scrappy win this week over a good performance where where you lose. Um, and I, I think the internationals coming back will be a will be a big boost. Obviously, however many of them are back, but a uh, huge game for us to win just at the start of this block. I don't want to project too far, but seeing as we're here, there is a possibility that. Um, Ulster and Cardiff could meet again this year possibly in a playoff for a Champions Cup spot so theoretically this game could have bearing on whether that game is in Belfast or in Cardiff I, th- I thought you were going to project like later in this 10 game block or oh, no. in this 10 week block <laughs> no. not to the end of the season Mate, the weather is awful the wind is howling I'm already thinking about the spring <laughs> so you've just elevated this to one of the most important games of the season you know what, why not if, if no one else is going to hype it, hype it up we may as well <laughs> if Gloucester like, don't win they, they, may, they might be out of the Champions Cup next year we don't know <laughs> hey. In terms of the uh, milestones for this game, it's Rob Herring's uh, 100. Well, it, it might be Rob Herring's 150th <laughs> cap for Ulster, given that he was at the press conference. You will assume that yeah. it, it should be. Um, his, his, his scrumpled up ball of paper didn't land in the bowl, <laughs> so we don't know if he's playing or not. I like that we game out made up. If you're going to play it, let us know your results. I'm going to do it tonight. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, end up with like Skull Quantum or about 10 or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, 150 caps for Ulster. He's what, 28? Is that right? Yeah. Um, pretty remarkable. I think Rob Harry's one of these. Um, Especially given Rory Best there. Yeah, because I think he probably gets overlooked a little bit. Um, in terms of when people think of imports that have come in and have really bought into the idea of playing for Ulster and really sort of made Ulster home I think he maybe gets left out of that conversation probably because he came over so young whenever he was 22 and because you know he made his professional debut um, with Ulster I don't think he played for London Irish he, he only had team, a trial with them yeah. I think um, yes it was professional um, debut I suppose with Ulster Um people think of him as somebody who's come through the system in that way rather than somebody who's left home to come to uh, to come and live in Belfast and as you say the fact that he's managed to make 150 appearances um, with the presence of Rory Best is another testament to him because um, you know in, a, in another world Rob Herring could um, have played a lot more games uh, well, a lot more starts and mm-hmm. probably won a lot more caps as well um, but Rory Best continues um 
continues apace in his thirty seventh <laughs> year. So um, yeah, and I, I think he's he's a very in the past, I thought he's a very underrated player. I think he's starting to get his due more now, especially off the back of um, of that Australia tour. But um, just I, he's been a huge figure for Ulster. He really has, and you know, it says an awful lot that that year that Rory Best um, didn't captain Ulster. That it was him and Andrew Trimble that were picked to co-captain the side. Yeah, I was daydreaming about my wee game. <laughs> I don't I'll have to tweet which Ireland players are coming back, and then uh, let people know how my how my game goes. Please do that if you if you play, because I feel like I might just have revolutionised um, rugby team selection. Um, I don't know. There was a few selections over the years that you would think came byproduct of that. So. <laughs> uh, but before we move on, let's hear from Rob himself before his one hundred and fiftieth Ulster cap. Yeah, no, it's 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 kind of slack up on me a little bit, um, and yeah, it's obviously really enjoyed my last sort of seven seasons. Yeah, and um, like I say, it's just a milestone. But I think as a team, this is, this game is massively important for us. And um, I know when there's is obviously a team focus, but if you could pick out any highlights of uh, the one fifty, um, I say there's been a couple. You must probably look at those European games, and I think back to Harlequins last year. That was a good one, and uh, um, probably my first time I captained Ulster. Um, it was another great moment that I always have, and I haven't really thought about it too much, but there'll, there'll be a few along the way that, that'll stand out. Yeah. There's, is there anything else to say about this weekend's game, or we'll continue on the listener listener questions? Well, I mean, we all expect Ulster to win, don't we? I think they should win, but um, traditionally... I was just taking that as red, sorry. Traditionally, I think Cardiff are a side that Ulster haven't matched up particularly well with. Um, just in terms of what their strengths are compared to what Ulster's weaknesses have been in the past, but um, I think you need a big, a big week from your back row, whoever that may be. Um, given Cardiff's depth in the back row, um, could be Nick an, Williams could be is a, coming back. An, another <laughs> return for Big Nick. What a guy! I mean, I feel like oh. we we've discussed it before, but we have. But like, yeah. The, the last time I saw Nick Williams in Belfast was after the Ulster Awards dinner a couple of years ago. Uh, pint in one hand, cigarette in the other hand, massive grin in his face, absolutely loving life. <laughs> I miss him. <laughs> but one, one of the things about this week's game is Willis Halaholo and Ray Lilo in the centres always seem to have a really good game against Ulster. I don't know what it is about playing Ulster that just brings the best out in them, but the last two or three times Ulster have faced them, those two have had absolutely superb games. So massive game for uh, whoever plays in the centre, which could actually be young James Hume, which will be a massive test for him if, if he does start at centre because those two just love to use the, the power game through the centre. Listener questions then. Um, Donal is back with us again after he, he left us last week. It was very... Uh, uh, disappointing but he's back and we have accepted him <laughs> he, had a, he had other podcasts to talk to he's, oh let's not go there let's, <laughs> let's not go there it was dramatic for Donal if you want to find out go on his Twitter feed oh no I meant his, uh, his listener oh, for, for another <laughs> podcast <laughs> well he was going for something else entirely anyhow let's brush over that some <laughs> say his stats aren't go- oh he's talking about Rory Best I should throw in as a, or else you'll have no idea what he means some say Rory Best stats aren't good enough 
for Ireland, he means as well. And I, I missed out his first tweet. You see, that's why it's not quite missing, making sense. I'm favour Skinnell or Cronin, but are stats really all that? They are for monsters like James Ryan, but not for Peter O'Mahony. Pete, where is he talking about? I don't know. I'm just going to read this out. Pete's stats look average, but their influence is massive, like a line-out state or a turnover on your line. Do you think Rory's leadership and referee management are the intangibles that Schmidt values? and hence why he is continually selected. If not, what is it that makes Rory undrawable for big games? Which was a question that was asked also by Select 15, and more succinctly. Donald must be the king of long questions. <laughs> no, but, uh, and they're real tongue twisters too. Intangible, so well-educated man, are Donald. Did you not go to the same school? <laughs> anyway, um, it's an interesting point. Like, there was a piece with or sorry, a piece by Alan Quinlan in the Indo on Saturday, talking about Peter O'Mahony and part of what it contained was his stats from the All Blacks game. And he was basically making the point that if you judge the game solely on stats, then I think it was James Ryan, I'm not sure. James Ryan is obviously man of the match against the All Blacks, but if you watch the game, then Peter O'Mahony is far and away obviously man of the match. And Rory Best, I think, brings the same amount. If you actually like, if you watch that All Blacks game back, and maybe even watch it back a third time, then what you see is how much of Rory Best's work is being the second man to the rock. That doesn't show up in a stat sheet, mm. but we've seen the value of it in Joe Schmidt teams, whether it be Rory Best, whether it be Dan Levy in the Six Nations last year. There are players who, you know, otherwise we would just do player ratings on the basis of stats at the end. You wouldn't even have to watch the game. And Rory Best is one of those type of players. And you throw in then the leadership aspect. Then you throw in this strength personality. Like, I'm not saying that if Rory Best didn't play for Ireland, then... Monsters captain and Leinster's captain couldn't see them through. Like it's not like it's a team devoid of leaders, and Rory Best will always point to that whenever he's asked about it, the leadership group. But on that basis of what Donald's talking about, I think it's clear to see why Joe Schmidt continues to select him. The other thing as well is I don't think you know I'm still waiting to see evidence that in a green jersey anybody's done enough to surpass him which is another issue entirely but I don't think anybody's really made this pressing claim that some people would have you believe to uh, take the number two jersey off best that's a good point um, I, I'd i like to go back to that, <clears throat> that first point you made because I thought it was very good about the stats I remember that turnover against the All Blacks where it was Omani got it in the corner and best is right in his shoulder um, as the second man in as you said, that doesn't get picked up by stats at all because nobody keeps track of like assisted turnovers or anything. But best is as as important in that ruck as uh, as Omani is. It, it it is one of those things where I think Rory brings so much to the on field performance that you just cannot uh, you cannot keep track of through stats. So that I think. Donald kind of has a point in that the stats suggest that Rory isn't uh, isn't as effective as other players, but in actual fact he is just as important as everyone else in that pitch because um, because of the work that he does that isn't tracked. 
Um, yeah. And especially as captain, uh, and again, not, not to keep repeating Johnny or anything like that, but uh, just, you know, the the fact that he is the he's the captain whenever you have all those other leaders, you know, as a, as he said, uh, Omani and Sexton between them could lead Ireland through, but Bess is a captain for a reason. He is yeah. he is the leader of this side. Sexton seems terrifying whenever he shouts at people, doesn't he? Sexton does really seem terrifying. Nightmares about that. There's there was one time I can't remember off the top of my head what Stockdale did. He didn't get up in the line. Oh, that's right, that's right. He did. Yeah, he he wasn't ready. Right, yeah. And Sexton absolutely tore him a new one the next time he saw him. <laughs> Can we and say I, that? And I, <laughs> Some, somebody find out. Um, yeah, like uh, Ref Mike was made for made for Johnny Sexton. <laughs> absolutely. It's actually made for reveries. But um, Andy Wilson asks, uh, are we making plans for our MIQ squad spots? <laughs> We're the business half laugh. For our MIQ... Uh, as long our, as you make somebody laugh. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? This is the thing. Are we making plans for our MIQ squad spots for next season? We have three spots free and no recruiting done. This was something discussed at the press conference, I believe. Yeah, last week or two weeks ago, oh, right. whenever Dan McFarlane was last up. It's um, last week. Last week. Um, I just asked him about, are we coming into the period where recruiting really becomes, or comes to the fore, you know, that uh, pre-Christmas um, into the early part of 2019, basically, is when... I would assume as a player, if you don't have your contract for the next year lined up, then you start to be a bit concerned. And he said, obviously, recruitment is an ongoing 12-month operation, but the GS, this was the time of year when it really um, kicks into gear. Just on the point of the um, three NIQ spots to fill, we have spoken before about how it's not a one-in, one-out thing anymore, but I'm Mm -hmm. assuming this is making reference to the fact that Diesel has left, Marcel is out of contract, and what was announced as a two-year contract for Skalk van der Merwe should be up. But um, Skalk van der Merwe is now, according to Ulster, on a three-year contract. So he actually does have a contract for next year as well. But he is a project player. So he takes a project player slot as opposed to an NIQ spot. Yeah, well, I think project players are a thing of the past now, really, probably. Mm-hmm. Um but just in that what was originally announced as a two-year contract yeah. for some reason is a three-year contract. Why to say they're a thing in the past? At risk of just the change, the change in the residency rules mm. now, where you have to be um, in the country for five years rather uh, than three yeah. years. Right, you know, okay. you're, you're talking about getting somebody over at uh, twenty. It's a, long, you know, it's a long project. Yeah, yeah. twenty-three, yeah. and then. If, well, like I hundred percent agree with it. I'm not. Um, mm. Not in the system at all, but yeah, you know, if you're going to sign somebody at 23, they're not going to be able to play until <laughs> yeah. they're 28. If, if yeah, you're going to qualify enough. for a country, you're going to be in for the long haul. But to, to go back to the question, I would say there's no recru- recruitment announced. I wouldn't say there's no recruitment done. I would say there's no recruitment announced. I'm not saying that Don't with say any. That. I'm not saying that with any inside knowledge or anything to go and like find that. Out who it is. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I'm not saying that with <laughs> any. It's work. <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm not saying that with any inside knowledge. I'm just saying that there there will be stuff going on behind the scenes that people don't know about. Yeah. Like it's it's not like Ulster just sitting put and then all of a sudden going, right, well, suddenly we have to find some players. Mm-hmm. Just, you've distressed me now. 
<laughs> I mean, you've said it yourself. This is contract season. How were you uh, not sorry, already up for we're this? We're coming up to the club round. It'd be a bit of a lie down. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a whole weekend chasing down that Stephen Donald thing, and that didn't even happen. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Gallard asks, "What do you think the chances are of Jared Payne joining the new Ireland setup as their defence coach?" Obviously, um, uh, Schmidt's leaving. He's thinking of the the new. I would say, like, you know, Andy Farrell's going into the head coach, which theoretically creates an opening as a defence coach. But for me, Andy Farrell would still be in charge of the defence, so yeah. there wouldn't be an awful lot for an Irish defence coach to do if they even had one. What you, what I think you will see is the fact that somebody in that ticket has, or somebody brought into that ticket has to replace the impact that Joe Schmidt has on the mm-hmm. team's attacking play. So you need somebody with, um, you need a, somebody who is inventive in yeah. terms of creating strike plays and designing things like that or as Joe Schmidt would have you believe he does lift strike plays off other teams mm-hmm. um, it's, the sa- it's the same as with Les Kiss whenever he joined mm-hmm. Ulster and now it ended up not being quite such a successful transition but whenever he came to Ulster he was director of rugby and were with an emphasis on mm-hmm. taking care of the defence that's what Andy Farrell's going to do yeah like mm-hmm. they, you know they didn't replace Johnny Bell yeah with, you know, yeah. mm. So that's why the likes of Stuart Lancaster are being linked rather than the likes of Jared Payne. Yes. Exactly, yes. Basically. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much us for this weekend's or this week's questions. The other ones I dropped in earlier. So uh, we'll move on very shortly to the clubs after you hear another little bit of music, which I hope you're enjoying. to the clubs then um, we actually had another negative review lately it was about a month ago but I only saw it and it like ruined my week last week but it was do you remember that week that I, I made the executive decision to cut the uh, club roundup out mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it was the week that Tommy, Tommy and, and Lou were in yes. yeah somebody wasn't having, happy with me and they said that the club roundup is very important to that was me well, did you leave that? <laughs> I was not happy. No, I was not. Uh, no, but you did, did you leave that review? Yeah, somebody left a review saying that uh, I shouldn't have cut it out and they were very disappointed. So did apologies, you, can't remember um, the name of the person, but apologies say, for that. Like, did you let people know that we cut it out? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I kept it in the podcast saying right. that I had made the decision because of the thing. But anyway, well, so... I, I hope people then leave positive reviews saying it's great that the club write up some <laughs> You know, we don't always have to be negative with our reviews. Just say... <laughs> Sometimes you can just go on and say, keep on keeping nice. on, guys. Yeah, yeah. that would be lovely. It takes but me Adam, time and effort to go and find these results well, that's, and put that's, them onto a pages that's document. That's the positive of this, because people yeah. clearly love them. So take it away for this week. I was nearly going to call it out this week, to be honest, given Bam Bridges' role, but I'll allow it to go and continue. <laughs> yeah, last week it was only Division 1 of the All-Ireland League who were in action, so in Division 1B, where all our Ulster clubs happen to be, Malone returned to the top of the division as they downed second place Nace 36-20 at Gibson Park for a bonus point win. Banbridge are still third despite losing to Balnehenge in a narrow 13-12 Ulster derby at Ballymacarn Park. That's conversion later on to Hinched a fifth, although they, Bambridge and City of Armagh are all on 16 points. That's after Armagh saw full Belvedere 15-9 at the Palace Grounds. Ballymena are still four points adrift at the bottom of the table after they lost 
27-16 away to Old Wesley. And in the Miller-McCall-Wiley Junior Cup, Dremor will face Balnehinch 2s in the final at Kingspan Stadium. That's after Dremor defeated Malone 2s 15-7, while Hinch overcame Grosvenor 30 points to 26. In um, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Ross Adair playing for Hinch 2s. Uh, yeah, I that's saw good that. After... After coming back from bad injury. So him playing for Hinch 2s. Kyle McCall, John McPhillips, Pete Nelson playing for Hinch 1s. Yep. All going on at Hinch. <laughs> Sorry. Looking John ahead. Didn't know John McPhillips playing for Hinch? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to revoke his status as my random <laughs> favourite Ulster <laughs> player. <laughs> Find someone with a more ban representation. He's too mainstream. Looking ahead to this week's fixtures in the All-Ireland League, in Division 1B, Malone's first test as league leaders is a trip to Banbridge for an Ulster derby at Rifle Park. City of Armagh and Ballinahinch are both on the road at 9th place Buccaneers and 8th place Old Wesley respectively, while Ballymena welcomes 7th place Old Belvedere to Eaton Park. In Division 2A, 4th place Queen's University can take a step towards the top if they can win away at Navan, who are a place above them in the table. Division 2B, sees another Ulster Derby as rainy old boys hope to continue their recent resurgence when they welcome Belfast Harlequins to Hattrick Park while Dungannon travel to third placed Wanderers and in Division 2C fourth placed Oma can move into the top three if they can win away to Bruff who are currently in third. Bangor are also on the road at Seapoint while City of Derry will rely on home comforts when they welcome ninth placed Tomond up north and in the Women's All-Ireland League Cook could move up to second in the table if they can defeat 6th place Blackrock away from home on Saturday that game kicks off at 5pm all the men's matches kick off at half past 2 obviously with Ulster being on this weekend then again no club rugby for us Yes, starting to miss my club rugby fix on the Saturday haven't been out for so long with I'm really missing my club various rugby. Ulster games especially with doing so well but 15th of December <gasps> Balna Hinch Malone big game well, I mean, we could have saved this for next week's podcast. We could have done, but who's going to be there? You going? You going to go? I'm hoping to go. Putting you on the spot here? I say we just call it our old server be round up uh, Christmas outing. <laughs> Calm down, I'm, guys. I'm not there. <laughs> well, you'll have some Irish league game to be at. Exactly. But, you know. If not, but if, if we find out you don't, we're dragging you there kicking yeah, and screaming. Yeah, okay. If I don't have to be in an Irish League game, I'll go. But I absolutely will. But you absolutely but have had to be in an Irish League game every, every Saturday, Saturday for the past like yeah. ten yeah. years. So yeah. But I've, I've checked my schedule. Yes, I will be there on the fifteenth of December. You can get a wee touch of video or something for the website. Good, good <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, Always I, thinking ahead, Gareth. Yeah, I, I'll be there, but I won't be doing any work. So no. Uh, Malone, yes, things going powerfully well. That's a great result at the weekend. Um, so but I mean, we, we we always talk about Malone. I mean, it, it is a great result of the weekend. But look look at one B for Ulster clubs. You've got three in the t- or four in the top five. Like, yeah. and we, we talked about the law of averages and how you know yeah. there's so many Ulster clubs. They're bound to be up at the top. But you know, they they all have to be playing good rugby to be there, yeah, and they all are. And it's fantastic that Malone are top of the tree. And uh, you're really hoping that one of them. See, the, the real signal would be if a non-Ulster team won the league, oh, the Ulster teams all battered each other in the playoffs and then lost. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be the worst. Like the, the main thing is getting a club up to 1A, and we, yeah. we keep talking about that. But that, that, that would be huge for Ulster club rugby. Bambridge. Really? Yeah. We show yeah. no, no favouritism on yeah. this podcast. 
on, on the contrary, we share nothing but favoritism. <laughs> nothing but favoritism. We, we, like, Ulster, we, we, we genuinely have a favourite player. <laughs> Very openly. <laughs> Alright, as someone who has no affiliation to one club, I'm going to say any Ulster club making it. Oh, I, I just picked one at random. I have no affiliation, but I just picked them. I just closed my eyes. I didn't really. Anyway, um, we've stopped doing our game of the week, and we're actually remarkably on time this week. Should we bring that back? Do we have a game of the week for the week coming up? Will we bring that back? I think possibly you, not permanently, but we'll I mean, it's, it's hard on time. For, for like right now. It's hard to look yeah. past Malone Manbridge, like as first v oh, yeah, third in one B. Looking through the fixtures elsewhere. No, let's, let's go Maloon, Maloon Bambridge. Do we have? I know it's hard. It's hard to really say because you guys haven't been at Club Rugby lately. I know. It's really tough to actually have too much of a tough, tough to really yeah. put an analysis on, on when this. you haven't seen a game in like six weeks. Yeah. Well, I'd also like to well, put Adam, let's, let's just ask who you... Because he'll say Maloon. I'll say Bambridge. Who's going to win that one? Um, because it's at Bambridge, I would favour Bambridge. Uh, Apparently, Stuart Murray's been in great form for uh, Malone. Well, uh, yeah, well, that's true. And Bambridge will not have James Hume for the game, Mm. which would have been a huge meeting between those two centres. Yeah, that would have been really good. James Hume could be a new random favourite of the play. He's in. (laughs) You're hard. Uh, I thought it was Mike Lowry. I know, but he's like like the collective podcast's favourite player. Okay. Gareth needs a Johnny McFarland right, yeah. Okay. yeah so that's what I'm doing here we're rambling now really should we just wrap it up I know uh, like, I we're, we're, we're on time up. but we're in terms of content we're, <laughs> we're, really we're done quite some time ago <laughs> so from Adam again cheers guys from Jonathan Bradley thanks very much uh, from myself Gareth Anna thanks for listening